welcome to the Grounded Families podcast with me, Julia Goodall, psychologist and coach. This is a podcast for all families navigating life, love and relationships. We delve into our stories and experiences of family and how these go on to shape and change who we are. I'm so happy to have you here. podcast, I interview Mel Wiggins, coach, activist and founder of the Assembly Community. Mel lives in Northern Ireland with her husband and two children and we talk about all sorts of things ranging from her upbringing in Northern Ireland and the Troubles as well as her move to Canada as a child. I loved so much about how Mel's story and her kind of travels around the globe have led her to the place where she is now which is holding this community of women in business. It's a wonderful episode, a wonderful chat, and I hope you enjoy it. So welcome to today's podcast. Um, Today my guest is the lovely Mel Wiggins, who I actually haven't met in real life. Would you, Mel, like to, you know, just give us a bit about your background and who you are and how you came to be here? Absolutely, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I feel like that's the standard thing that we have to say. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Um, (laughs) Uh, yeah, so I'm Mel, I'm 37, I live in Northern Ireland with uh, my husband Dave and my two small kids, um, and my, I guess my trajectory to here has been, um, has been that I grew up in Northern Ireland, pretty average middle class upbringing, and uh, in 1992, my family emigrated to Canada, um, where we lived for a while, kind of back and forth from Canada to Northern Ireland. And then um, eventually I left Canada to go to university um, in England. Uh, and okay. I, yeah, so I studied, well, this, that's, that's like the short version of what happened. <laughs> I did like okay. six months at university in Belfast and then I went back to Canada and I went and did a year of university there and then <laughs> um, okay. finally did a degree in um, youth and community work in London and spent a few years working in London um, after that in various different non-profits. Um, my whole career up until the last four years has solely been working in um, social change and and in the social impact space. So, um, yeah, so after several years of youth work um, and then getting to the stage of feeling too old to be working evenings in youth clubs, Uh, I decided to um, pursue another avenue that was kind of drawing me in which was um, looking at the issue of exploitation and um, human trafficking both globally and particularly with a focus on what was happening locally here in Northern Ireland so um, a, a series of events kind of led to myself and a friend uh forming like a voluntary group in our community that would do some campaigning and some awareness raising um which then led to partnering with a a more established charity to become a project of theirs that would focus particularly on exploitation and with um a bit of a a focus mainly on labor exploitation um 
because the the area that I live in is very, has very high kind of migrant worker population and um a lot of food production agricultural okay. um industry so um so I spent about eight years doing um really kind of grassroots activism in okay. the area of exploitation and labor gosh yeah okay. yeah Gosh, that sounds um, so interesting, but also it sounds heavy work as well. Was that your experience or? I would say, um, yeah, I think that it can't not be moving and can't, you know, you can't hear stories and statistics and um, examples and not be moved in some way. I think the very nature of um getting involved in that kind of thing means that you are someone that is compelled by injustice and wants to do something about it you know and I guess that's when we talk about being moved that's a real like action word isn't it like oh sorry um (laughs) throwing desks around here um uh, yeah so so yeah I think moved for sure but usually to the extent that I was like, okay, what are we going to do about this then? Like, this is, this is a, this is horrific. This is so unfair. This is really exploitative. So what are we going to do? Like, what can we do? What's the Mm. level of change that we can make here? Um, and so it was always kind of, um, channeled, I guess. That heaviness. doing something i i asked because my um experience in public health in south africa felt also it started with that sort of um force and wanting to work and wanting to do something and wanting to change but also it led me to feeling burned out absolutely yeah because you you can do things of course and of course these things do lead to change but often you're dealing with such big systems and such ingrained systems mm. and that can be so overwhelming um totally yeah, that's totally yeah. totally draining i think what was unique about this situation was that at the time that we started to do our um kind of like lobbying and connecting with government local and national and all of that kind of stuff this was a really not talked about thing here. Mm. Okay. It was a really unrevealed issue. And mm. um and so I think there wasn't there really weren't a whole lot of systems in place either okay. you know, like for or against to really yes. challenge. So um what was exciting and hard and unique about it was that we were able to really influence policy and really influence um change makers in governmental level their responses to this um by by kind of bringing them closer to the to the real stuff like bringing them you know closer to the people and their stories and the actual lived out experiences of people who had um had really awful awful um working conditions and okay. uh, treatment so mm. so yeah I think that was unique because it wasn't it wasn't something where there was already loads of laws established that had to be you know or it wasn't that there was loads of like support in place that wasn't working it wasn't that you know it, it was like okay. we need to imagine what what we can do here and um and we were so grateful to be part of that and 
and okay. daunted by that too because mm. <laughs> we were learning just, the whole time as well we were just learning the whole time as well so yeah I hear what you're saying though there's so much more sort of elasticity when there's nothing there that there is so much more you can do um, and then you're not struggling with the system like you say yeah where were and um, where were people coming from and you say sort of migrant populations where do people mostly come from to Ireland so it's it varies um, in different parts of of Ireland but um here in the north and particularly in this area um and it also it also varies seasonally um as well so we would we would have seen kind of at the beginning of our work it was a lot of eastern Europeans um um very kind of from like poor rural areas um and a lot of east Timorese uh communities would have come to kind of do the kind of um the migrant work um the kind of factory jobs and that kind of thing and then it kind of um moved a bit so then there was a lot more romanians and bulgarians that uh came came over and established themselves in the community uh because there was so there was so much demand as well these industries were growing hugely and so there's so much demand for work so we then were able, we saw these like other nationalities uh, arriving in because they had heard come to this area. There's loads of work in the um, meat packing industry or in the mm. uh, salad packing industry or whatever it was. Or okay, yeah. So um, it varied massively, but mostly uh, European. And then um, there's been a big influ- influx of like uh, Portuguese like. Um, Brazilian Portuguese, like okay. African African Portuguese, yeah. Okay, wow. Um, I'm so struck as well that I mean the country that you're living in is in healing essentially because mm. in the 80s with the troubles going on, it was I mean that's a really recent trauma, and I wonder what that's like as well, like that sort of layering of people coming into a country that's still very much um, yeah traumatized, I guess. Yeah, traumatized for sure. Um and and only 30 40 years ago, you know, really mm. was all of that at its kind of height. So yeah. that's not a that's not a long time. That's not enough generations away for it to not still have a massive impact. Mm. Um but what's interesting is that, you know, it really there's still such a them and us culture here in lots of ways um between protestants and catholics um you know there's still very just very obvious division um you know in terms of schooling and um even areas of towns and stuff like that so it was it was it's been an interesting experience to watch other cultures and nationalities um you know arrive and try to integrate into the into a community that already is struggling to come together yeah and the nuance of that and being able to read that and like you say assimilate into that must be just like a minefield yeah for sure and there's been some amazing work done the organization that our project came under um did so has done amazing work on all the interfaces of where protestant and catholic and kind of other cultures come together 
Like um, it. done some really great integration work there. Um, and there's loads of and there's been loads of funding that's been kind of put in the direction of of that kind of work as well. But okay. um, but there will always be minorities of people who just aren't open to difference you know it's mm. it just feels so protective and um unsafe threatening. yeah 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 and again relates so much to that because of south africa i think that we are like northern ireland and south africa have uh, not similar histories but similar in terms of um, the recent traumatic events that have mm. gone on mm. and that we're still countries both very much in process mm. um, and everything that comes along with that and i like I don't want to romanticize that, but there's also space within that that there's enormous energy and growth. At least I've found that in South Africa, um, because, like you say, there's this clean slate feeling where people are really sort of starting again. Of course, there is not a clean slate, mm. but it's that sense of okay, where do we go from here? What happens next, and how do we recreate this and start something new? Yeah, um, and there's been mm. so much. Um, from both sides politically in Northern Ireland there's been so much sacrifice like like sacrifice mm. um, uh, it, from both communities that I think that you know where that where that understanding um, can you know it can be really tricky for people who have have really had so much loss because of these issues to yeah. to really feel ready to move on or to mm. you know commit to a different way or to uh the process of integration even just between protestants and catholics because you know i guess for a lot of people it's well if we do that then that will all have been for nothing you know yeah. Well, um yeah. and we can't we can't let that be in vain or whatever and mm -hmm. I you know I have a lot of compassion for people who lost family like I have at least three or four friends who lost parents in the troubles who wow. lost fathers who were you know um and so it's a very it's a very complex uh country I always put that in like my bio and in so in on my website or wherever that I come from mm. beautiful complicated northern Ireland <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah I, I really uh, I relate to that so much and it's almost impossible to explain that nuance to people who not sure. lived through it and gone through it for sure was that um one of the reasons why you moved to Canada or was that just by chance honestly um I think it was. I think there was an element of like, let's get the hell out of here. Um, at the time, my parents were, my dad was a social worker. My mum worked in social care as well. And <clears throat> and I think, you know, my dad worked in prisons. He was a probation officer. Oh, wow. So okay. he worked in the like high security prisons with prisoners of, of from the troubles and with their families. Um, so we spent a lot of like <laughs> our family holidays was going away with like my dad's work, you know, to prisoners with prisoners' families to d places and stuff. And I think. What do you mean taking them on your family holidays? Well, we didn't take them. No, like the oh. the probation board would have organized. Oh, yes. I see. Okay. Like, um, you know, f prisoners' families would have had bursaries and things to be taken away to, um, like a. There's a there's a few amazing healing and like 
at reconciliation centers here uh, yeah. well, one's, one is up on the north coast in Ballycastle called Coromela and I um, it's an amazing amazing beautiful it's, community that's the Patrick Artuma that's right community oh wow okay yeah oh, wow. Um, and so I spent a lot of a lot of summers going up to Coromela with my dad's work and spent you know spending the summer with kids of um prisoners and doing arts and crafts oh and gosh. all that kind of stuff That's amazing. um i mean that would never really happen now that that blend would be there with yeah. work, work and family and all that kind of stuff particularly not yeah. in those situations but um but i think it, uh, just being so um connected to it there was and i haven't explicitly we don't think we've really explicitly discussed if that was a main driving factor but i just think my parents were interested in something else seeing Mm. seeing what else was out there which was a pretty bold move when i when i'm now like approaching 40 and my parents were early 40s like i was eight my my brother was 14 um so we were pretty established in school and everything to just up sticks and move across the world it wasn't really what people did in the early 90s you know yeah. very few families that we knew of had done that so we were it was a bold move when now that I'm approaching that age to think about doing that oh my is, goodness I know <laughs> just a <laughs> oh don't make me I don't want to leave <laughs> and, and start all over again what was it like though for you um I don't know I think it was I think it was very exciting you know, I remember being mm. it being very exciting. I also remember feeling relieved to be going from Northern oh, Ireland. Um, okay. um and but then it was also really hard. It was really hard because I was mm. eight. I was eight years old and I was arriving into a school and it was also like this time of the year. Uh, it was March. So it was halfway through the school year. Um and halfway through like my <laughs> primary school years so uh you know I think I had to early on in my life and this has stood me in good stead I will say even though it was it was tricky as an eight-year-old um I've had to learn how to make friends and learn how to integrate and adapt and Mm. find find people to connect to it's been yeah it I think it is such a skill to be able to go somewhere new and connect with people that you don't necessarily have anything in common with yeah um, and to make those sort of connections I think that yeah and then becomes kind of a gift that unless you've had that experience it's difficult to do that it's difficult Mm. to imagine yeah Yeah. and kids are kids are good at that anyway like I think kids Mm, I watch my kids like my daughter will (laughs) she be she said to me we were at the park the other day and she was like um I like those girls can I be their friend and I was like yeah course you can yeah and so she just like sassed over to them and like (laughs) you know she's like hi I'm Ada (laughs) and all of a sudden they're playing you know so yeah there's she's oh bless she's never really been rejected (laughs) yet (laughs) oh no that's so hard to watch yeah when it doesn't go that well exactly but I, I mean I love that just sidling up to people and going well we're both here we're both kids that's all we need in common Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I think there's yeah lots to be said about that yeah can I play with you sure sure off we go yeah yeah no questions asked Mm. oh (laughs) and Amel and then you okay so then you were in 
England. Oh, no, you started in Belfast at uni. I mean, yeah, I, I don't even really call it uni for me. Like, I, <laughs> I think I lasted till Christmas break and then I was like, okay. oh boy, yeah, no, I'm not cut out for this degree. So, and then I went back to Canada. Okay. Okay. What are you st- studying I then? I was studying theology. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, I mean, I just wasn't ready for it. Okay. I wasn't ready. I was young. I kind of mm. combined my last two years of high school in Canada because you could yeah. do that um, and finish early, like get all of your kind of work done in the one year wow. um, okay. because I just wanted to be done and go back to Northern Ireland. Um, and we didn't study we didn't we didn't have a levels or anything like that that you would have had to do here to get into university so it was a bit of a scramble to get in anyway especially to the theology program where i hadn't done re at any kind of exam level yeah. so yeah. i was i was way behind completely behind i hadn't a clue what i was doing and i was going to like lectures about greek like in about greek you know theology and yeah all kinds of stuff I hadn't a clue um and so I ended up being like yeah I think I'm just gonna go home so (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think that we're so young for university anyway I I sometimes just shudder to think you know I was 17 in the world yeah me too (laughs) crazy so I Yeah. yeah so I was I was definitely way too I was way naive about what that would look like um Okay. I think it was really because of a boy that I wanted to go. Oh, if I'm being honest, um, and when that didn't really work out, I was like, "Get me home," um, mm-hmm. and then yeah, so I spent a little bit of time working all the rest of that year, and then went to university in Canada for a year and did the kind of North American university life. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, stayed in an all girls dorm and Oh wow. Yeah, I did that as well. Yeah. Um <laughs> and yeah, that was fun and I made some great friends and had a fun year and <clears throat> you know, don't remember doing a whole lot of work, but <laughs> again like 12 years old yeah deciding on what to do with your life oh, mm, yeah so that that was a like at one year in childhood and family relations so I was getting a little bit closer a little bit closer yeah um and then after that I was like actually I just want to go back to the UK somehow so I went back did a gap year in England with the Salvation Army doing like youth work uh, and stuff um, and then decide, and then the Salvation Army said look if you stay on and do youth work in a placement for us we will put you through your youth work degree we will pay oh, for wow. it and we'll put you up in accommodation and all the rest Amazing. of it and I was like well okay so <laughs> that's what I'm doing I get to live in London pretty much for free Amazing. Uh, for a few years until they until I got my qualification and then I had to go and work um, and all the rest of it but yeah that's kind of my entry into the proper NGO working world was around then yeah okay I love also all that kind of sinew around these things and I know 
like society, we think so much about, okay, this year was part of this degree and this year is doesn't count because I didn't finish it. And But I think all of that stuff counts and it's actually, it, it adds so much texture and you're moving towards something. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, I don't know, those in-between times are often so important. Oh, they're massively, like, massively important. I'm not doing this. Yeah. Hmm. I remember coming to the UK after school just to visit somebody and it was such a big deal and I was also like 17 and I remember getting here and knowing almost instantly oh I think I'm too I think I'm too little for this yeah so I was here for a few weeks and just thought no I think I'm going to do university first that feels like a more sort of sheltered entry into the world yeah um but yeah we are just babies at that age babies like Mm. yeah I still feel too young for some of the things that are going on in my life yeah absolutely oh yeah like where are the (laughs) grown-ups literally i have to make this decision who somebody tell me what to do this is not safe at all and pay for it (laughs) absolutely it's like the call card i'm calling my parents please yeah absolutely and then please tell me how so how did you come about to open the assembly community can you hear, tell us a little bit about that sure so um in 2016 i was like in the depths of the activist uh world um re- like leading this project we were it was going really well we have amazing strides in policy and government levels change and seeing the impact of that on the lives of the workers that we were connecting with but I was, I was really, like you said, like I could feel that burnout starting to arrive. Mm. I could feel that like itch for something else that wasn't um, all about just heavy things all the time. Um, because I've always been creative. I've always been interested in creativity and, um, you know, growth and community and all that kind of stuff and um I just felt like there was this real opening in my life for something like that and you know this was kind of around the time where Instagram was was really big and I had always kept a blog um all through like from my university days all the way all the way through to Mm. like you know till my daughter was like all the way through like gosh you know and um and I think I was just you know I'd been connecting and had this like a little creative outlet on my blog and through Instagram was connecting with all these lovely people who were doing all these very entrepreneurial things and I was both here in Northern Ireland and further afield like in London and in England and around the UK and I was just like I miss that kind of creative female company like I'm really create I'm really craving that outlet and so it was just a matter of I had this idea of um getting getting some of the women that I'd met on Instagram together like just Mm. just having dinner with them in some way I wanted to be able to make that like a really luxurious creative experience that we could all enjoy so I enlisted some help, some like stylists and caterers and stuff to do that and sent out an invitation to those women to come to that. Um, and we had this beautiful, beautiful um, 
like outside Ma- oh, wow. like meal in an apple orchard because I live oh in oh my goodness yeah it's amazing I know it was so amazing oh, wow. it was honestly it's like down there as one of the most significant uh events of my whole life just a beautiful mm. beautiful night everybody connected so well the food was amazing the weather was amazing the, the setting was beautiful um and so many beautiful kind of connections and seeds were planted on that night so I think just once the like I had a photographer like do take some pictures and stuff um because I think I knew at that stage I wanted to I wanted to do that like I wanted to bring women together gathering yeah okay um so then as soon as the pictures started to go up and people started to share like there was only maybe 15 of us there um to sh- people started to share their pictures on Instagram. Everyone was like, "What is this? And can I can I come to it? And what do you yeah. what are you doing? What is this? Yes, what is it?" <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I was like, "Okay, well maybe people would like to come to this." And so I arranged another one in a different venue, and then that kind of just spiraled into events. Um, and then I quickly realized that there was a lot of a lot of conversation around the table through the workshops that we were doing like the the kind of creative workshops where so many of these amazing women just felt really self-conscious and they were really craving more they were craving deeper connections deeper opportunities to learn um and I guess I was just like okay well I would I would love to provide that. I would love to explore what that would look like to provide that. So um, I started doing workshops that weren't focused necessarily around creative things, like creative practices, but were more around um, kind of mindset things and uh, a lot of the coaching topics that I focus on now. So there were still these beautiful in-person gatherings with lovely Mm. food, but the focus was really about like, what does it mean to you know show up afraid in your work and what does it mean to um kind of understand critical voices in your head and what does it mean to unpack some of the um imposter syndrome that we all feel and all of that kind of stuff and then I started to get more I started to get more equipped to be able to do that Okay. Um, you know, I was bringing... it's, it's, a, it's a luck to hold a group of people and to be able to contain them. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's yeah. Like work. Um, and I was really just again so similar to the the activist stuff was really just listening to what was happening and then going, mm. okay, I'll, let's. Resp- I think I could respond with this. Okay. So there's migrant workers arriving they're not they don't have the right paperwork they are being told one thing through an agency and being given another thing they've been promised this and they're not getting that they're being treated badly okay what can we do like what's the response Mm. and then just similarly listening to these women talk about oh i you know i could never oh i just do this for fun i I would never want to i could not i could never make it into a business or um who would want to see me on instagram i'm just gonna put Mm. my products out there or and i'm like oh i think i think that i could do something to to support these conversations so Mm. um from the in-person stuff 
then about three years ago I opened a membership community that was online um and women had the opportunity to kind of sign up for you know there was your Facebook group and um I did monthly workshops in the Facebook group this is kind of before Zoom was exploded you know Zoom Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and I I created workbooks every month and we focused on a topic every month and I really was winging it I really was winging it um, in that first year and like shout out to all the OG assembly community members (laughs) who (laughs) Who were there for that who were there for me kind of figuring that out um and now that community has grown and established and is reaching women you know we have women from all over the world there there's about a hundred of us in that community at the minute that's incredible that's a huge community to be holding (laughs) yeah they're they're amazing women um and they do you know what that's that i know that i lead that community and um but they very much hold each other Mm -hmm. and and we are creating structures within the community that it isn't all reliant on me as well and that it is a co-creation of things too Mm. um and that takes some time um but you know there's we have accountability groups that change every quarter so women can get to know each other and do all of that uh together i've been able to bring amazing experts in as regular contributors to the membership so we have um a therapist that comes in and does stuff around mental health um and because that's you know that's not my wheelhouse that's not my expertise and I'm really aware that that is a that is a often a missing piece in the coaching industry is um the nuance of where that line of yeah where it ends yeah 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 um and then um you know like bringing people onto my team to support that both behind the scenes and in the community as well we've just brought in um, an amazing woman to also kind of coach and do some of the community and content um side of things which is exciting so when i when you say like that's a lot to hold it has been but i'm but i'm very much interested in a model where it's not me holding at all just you yeah and i think with that many people as well it also starts to take on its own form and character that you can't really control then what goes on and that's the beauty and the i guess the risk of it it's like oh yeah again the nuance of that that becomes something it's that you yeah you don't get to influence in the same way i suppose yeah um with that many people i'm so struck by um the need i don't know that when you talk about that dinner in the orchard, I also just feel like, oh, mm. give me the address. <laughs> I'll I be know. there tomorrow. <laughs> but And obviously in the context of, of this pandemic, that's heightened. But I think that even before that, there's this real like longing for people to gather and people to get together. And I, um, I so often wonder, what what is that? Why are we so disconnected and lonely? And um, mm-hmm. why are we so sort of on our own and things? Why do we imagine we're so on our own? Um, I wonder if it's sometimes to do with as religion sort of dwindles and that those communities used to support people in a, um, a, like a particular way. And then we have less sort of formal community. I don't know. I wonder like, what's Mm. your take on things like that? It's a good question. Um, I don't 
know. I think sometimes the speed at which we get information now, right? There's maybe something about the speed at which we get information and we are able to develop personally is not often matched with an experience of doing that in community, right? Which, mm. um, and this is, I'm totally thinking out loud here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go. But, I, but I, do, I do wonder if that's a thing, you know, like we often, you know, we have so much access to articles and webinars and podcasts and people who can help us to explore ourselves understand ourselves better and there's something about that that I think as human beings requires us to work it out with each other that to really integrate it if you're having yes backward backward and forward conversations yeah like I know my first instinct when I listen to an incredible podcast is I need to tell somebody. Yeah. I need to. I need somebody else to be obsessed with this Discuss. with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or a good TV show or whatever yeah. it is. Like we just have this instinct to share, and mm. I think as we have so much access to information and all of that, we've got to put it somewhere. It can't just live mm. here. We've got to put it somewhere. Um, and by here, I mean I'm pointing at my head, just yes. because this is an audio. <laughs> Forget, no one else can see. <laughs> yeah, um, it's got to live somewhere. It's got to be worked out and experienced and lived out and tested in community. And I think somewhere in all of us, we know that that, that needs to happen, mm. I think. I guess also it's wasted. Otherwise, it feels like a shower of sort of information, good ideas. But if you're not integrating that, it's it's kind of pointless. Like, what? Where does that go? Like you say, you can't just store that all in your head for when it's applicable, when it feels useful. Yeah. Um, and I think what you say is so true. We're so sort of bombarded by information mm-hmm. and and like wonderful information and wonderful sort of mm-hmm. potential connection, but there, yeah, there's no space to kind of tussle and wrestle and see like, okay this is for me or this part I'm leaving behind um and you're right and community get to do that in yeah. a safe way yeah I'm and that's yeah. like one of my one of my real obsessions is is creating that and mm. and finding ways to create that with real intention and real care and it's the biggest joy the biggest joy to to create those safe spaces where women in particular can wrestle with their own Mm. with their own growth and their own development um and that and actually you know that I can do that too with them as a leader yeah exactly it's it's that amazing feeling when you sit with someone they're talking about something and you suddenly go oh my goodness yes I've been I've been mulling over that in some way that's been filtering through and now you've given words to that mm. and it can be su- such a relief sometimes to mm. have that in community that you didn't even know which question to ask or what you were particularly looking for but then it emerges and you think oh man this is what oh, I'm interested yeah. in absolutely yeah. and I hope that that's that's how women find assembly is you know they read something or they see something or they see someone else um who they've been watching start like really flourish or own who they are and um and they're like oh what is that like I would really I need that too or that's been you know that that feels like permission for me too or whatever Mm. 
I like also the the ceremony that you seem to hold around it. So like with these dinners, um, and hopefully those dinners come back, I will <laughs> literally come to Northern Ireland for that. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but it reminds me of when when I was growing up and the you know, we would have grown up at similar times, we like the same age. And do you remember when the Berlin Wall came down? And um, my parents started this tradition, which for us felt quite bizarre because when we were kids and we didn't really see the link. But I guess for them that in apartheid South Africa, this was an enormous kind of symbol of hope. Mm. And so every year we started having this freedom dinner mm. that we, I didn't get at all. It was, it was such fun, but I didn't get it. And still I have like really kind of visceral memories of having those dinners with friends and at home and the kind of ceremony about around it and also mm. that these themes were so important around sort of freedom and connecting and standing up to things that um, were unjust um, and how that has carried through in a way that a conversation just wouldn't have carried through. Do you know what I mean? So talking oh. to your kids about the Berlin Wall, interesting, but it's not doesn't have anywhere to go, doesn't have anywhere to be contained. Yeah. Mm. And I love that so much about like the physical gathering of people and that ceremony that oh, yeah. um, that holds things. Oh, that's made me super emotional for you talking about that. Oh, <laughs> it's beautiful that your mm. that your family decided to mark that and continue to mark that. Mm. That's so beautiful. Sorry, <laughs> I'm like I'm, sorry. I'm also I'm, sorry, I'm also a little bit premenstrual. <laughs> oh gosh, you should have told me. I'm sorry. Oh no, it's fine. <laughs> Make I'm not it afraid. A podcast. I'm not okay. afraid of emotion. It's absolutely fine. Okay. And if anyone has been in my company for a hot minute, they know that I cry over <laughs> everything. Oh me um, too. I'm an absolute weeper. Oh family. my. Just like, oh, <laughs> Sam, it's happening again. <laughs> my, Sam, my emotions like my tears are all like right here all the time yeah um but that's so beautiful the fact that your parents were like okay this is something we need to mark like what a what an amazing Mm. tradition to to integrate into your family and for and for you as a child to know that it was important and remember the ceremony and the the joy and the connection and the community aspect of it as significant but then just gradually get to know as an adult the meaning behind it like yeah, that's the unraveling of that yeah. oh so lovely um i went to berlin as an adult and i'd read this book i don't know if you ever read it and i'm gonna forget the title but it's by anna funder um i think it was maybe called stasi or stasi lunt anyway um, it's about, it's really interesting. It's about a woman who lived um, in Berlin, sort of pre post the wall coming down. And I remember then going to Berlin as a young adult and feeling like it was some sort of pilgrimage for me. Mm. When in reality, it's, I mean, it had not, no direct influence on my life at all. Um, but I love that it's, yeah, it really kind of seeped in and made such an impact. Um, and I'm interested in that because I feel like this sort of sense of community where we we move towards a more kind of global community rather than these very kind of si- in silo countries and thinking about how we exist on mm. our own, which mm. of course we don't. Um, and how how do we do that? How do we move into that space of feeling more connected internationally? And mm. um, I don't know, like, I don't know. I'm also sort of saying this out loud as I think about it but how do we make those connections not just within our countries and within our communities as they stand um and I'm asking you because you're a community maker (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think so one of the things that has 
you know activism still I'm still it's still a big part of my life you know as much as I've moved out of um my direct role I still you know I still sit on a on an advisory committee for um the home office and Oh, wow. okay. All kinds of stuff like that, but what I've what I've realized is that the activism element is is what I think is going to save us, not just in the actual activism, but in the the community aspect of activism, but also in the understanding the our connection to each other and to to our to other countries to other yeah. communities around the world you know so you cannot you cannot particularly the climate the climate um emergency and all that that means i think it's stuff like that that is is rising up that is that is going to help us connect more to our our global impact our global connection mm. I think because it's hi- it's highlighting for us that when we overuse plastic when we over when we so when we um our demand here for paper products and non-recyclable products particularly paper products um means that there are trees that have to be cut down in other areas of the world to provide for that paper demand and when those trees are cut down um in certain landscapes it means that whenever water comes those trees can't absorb that water and floods are created and then people are impacted and they don't get the food that they need because they can't go through those flooded areas to survive and you know telling stories in the activist world that connects us to the people that it affects Mm -hmm. i think is often the missing link Okay. Um, and I see this all the time that people are so committed to the issue that they forget to connect it to the people, mm, and that so true. that is what we need to hear. So mm. I know that whenever we talked about human trafficking, and when we talked about labor exploitation, it wasn't like X amount of slaves around the world, and this is you know, these are where this you know this product is produced and this this many people are being mistreated in this industry da, 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 boycott boycott um yeah. that language was never ever landing with people but when you told them that um you know this person came from bulgaria with their four kids to work in this meatpacking <laughs> uh plant and they haven't you know their wife is also working there and she's pregnant and she's not being given any of her maternity rights and and they're being controlled by a gang master and all this kind of stuff and you talk about it person to person as mm. though like you humanize humanize this stuff i think that's what really matters um because at the end of the day that's our that's our connection to all of these issues as is each other and mm. um and that's what I'm interested in. That's always what what impacts me. Is yes, I know the practicalities of the problems, but actually, who is it impacting, and what you know? Yeah, what does it look like for them? 
I think that's so important and so yeah never been able to articulate that it's hard as well because it's kind of real zooming out to look at policy and the big structures involved and then zooming back in and to hold that um that difference is quite difficult yeah i even i even see it in um the stuff that the kids learn here Mm. so and i think sometimes it's easier for me to see it because i haven't grown up with it and so it feels fresh and new and we were talking um my son was learning about the trip to the Antarctic it was like I I'm going to forget all the names of the people who did this but so there was a um, two countries involved and basically Britain was second to arrive um, and that w- that became the focus of what they were teaching these kids so it, w- it wasn't about oh well you know we found this place and discovered something new and the, all the interest around that yeah. the focus was on oh so disappointing that we didn't get there first <sighs> And I felt kind of sickened by it. And I, I stopped and I just thought, oh, we're not watching any of these mm-hmm. videos. It just feels like this feels yuck. And I took a bit of time to think about it. And then we spoke. And I just said, this is feels really problematic to me. Like, these people actually died as well. It was like, it. it's not like, um, I don't know, a race to the forest. It was really like people's lives were involved. Years of research, years of, mm. of training. and um, And it wasn't also that it wasn't a failure, do you know what I mean? Even because, even that they had died, but it just lost the humanity of what was going on and that actually as a planet, isn't this incredible? People have gone to a place that as far as we know, other humans hadn't been before and how how connecting that can be, but we are stuck in this awful kind of competitive, competitive. drive. It's just like, oh, come on. <laughs> And it's so tedious. And I feel like that, again, in terms of like global community, really, really has to shift. Otherwise, I mean, we're going to be in big trouble. Absolutely. Already. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, you know, some of the stuff that my kids come home with, you know, we've just had fair trade fortnight um, here. And, you know, it's all about kind of fair trade products. And I spent a lot of time doing work around fair trade in my in my activism okay. with exploitation stuff and I guess one of the changes that my mind has kind of gone through is yes there is absolutely personal responsibility and this is what a lot of the um the stuff was geared towards in terms of uh, the content for my my son's school work around okay. fair, fair trade it was all like find five products in your home with a fair trade symbol on it um, which is great, right? But also yeah. totally tokenistic and also puts the onus always back on the consumer. Yeah. And I'm just like, uh, hang on a second. Mm. <laughs> Missed the mark here. Or we could have done so much more with this, you know? This is is it, not... Like, is it okay for me to talk to my almost 10-year-old about how it's absolutely possible that governments ensure that farmers have a fair wage and that it's not always like it shouldn't be the responsibility only of the consumer Mm. to ensure that they're buying the ethical products but actually where where down the system is this so like horrifically wrong you know that Mm. like we're being gaslit being told that we're supposed to you're the problem you consumers Mm. you're the problem and there's there's definitely truth to that but there's a lot more that um, is at stake and is is fixable by the powers that be that just get sidelined in this whole like consumer responsibility conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
yeah i get a bit cross about that in case you can't tell <laughs> it's not clear at all but um it's i'm just like so thrilled to hear that you even do that i mean my son is younger how old is your son he he's, looks al- like he's almost 10. 10. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. You just said, so we haven't done anything like that. So for me, I'm just happy that the, that is somewhere in the conversation, but yes, again, it feels like a totally sort of missed opportunity. Um, and that also there's real privilege in that to buy totally sort of ethical goods yeah. and all sorts of that. I feel like that can be so isolating to people to hear that sort of rhetoric or like you're just a crappy human because you've bought those bananas. And I think, no, yeah. this is, and also this is not, some of those certifications mean deadly squat Absolutely actually nothing. yeah exactly mm. yeah oh i hear you mel <laughs> <laughs> with you on stuff like that mm. ah, there's so much work to do I'm just looking at my notes um and i'm looking at our time um I'm really mindful of how little time we have already um i think we should actually just wrap up we've been chatting for nearly an hour would you like to talk about anything else that I haven't asked you about or anything that is burning? Mm, I don't think so. I think we've okay. covered some good ground. <laughs> yeah, we talked about, you, so you know, like the troubles. <laughs> we've talked about university and being too young. We've talked about activism. We've talked about women and community and global. And yep, I think we've, Time done, for a we've done pretty good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mel, for joining no me. It was so, so for... lovely to chat. Thank you for having yeah. me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Mm. And um, if you ever do any more of those apple orchard dinners, I am so there. Yeah, get your name on a ticket. Absolutely. <laughs> I will. All for right. For sure. Thank you. It was lovely to chat to you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you'd like to get in touch with Mel, you can find her on Instagram at Mel Wiggins or on her website, melwiggins.com. At the moment, she has a six-month accelerator program open. I think they begin in April, so do have a look at her website and check that out. I think it will be a wonderful community of women holding each other in business. And that's all. Have a lovely week. I'll chat to you soon. Thank you so much for being here today. If you'd like to get in touch, I'm on Instagram at grounded underscore families. You can send me a DM or a voice note to my DMs or an email. I'd so love to hear from you. Please do like, share and subscribe this podcast. It really, really helps to get the podcast out in front of more listeners. And I'll see you again next week. Take care.